Good evening. Um, thank you for coming back. Good to see you. Um, so this evening we are going to spend some time again in, in the book of Ephesians. Um, Todd, I thought I could go further than I thought, but um, we'll, stay, we'll do about three verses of chapter, f- um, chapter 4, verse 17 and 19, if there is time. Maybe we'll do some more. So our text, my focus will be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to verse 19. I think it's, it is another section with, with a new thesis statement. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That is the thesis statement. In the futility of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20 says, but you have not learned Christ. You have not so." Learn Christ. The thesis statement that we are going to try to unpack is this. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So what, how does Gentiles walk? And he has gone ahead to describe a bit of that. Let's see if we can get a bit deeper into it. Now, I grew up in a small farming village in Ghana around the 1980s. My recollection of life, even at a tender age, was that there was more good in the world than evil. Incidences of evil, crime, and immorality were few and far in between. And when news of deviant behaviors filtered through the community, Everybody then seemed so shocked and taken aback. I vividly recollect one of such incidences. I was about five or six years. When the, and in in the villages, what is used to call the community together is a gongon, a metal that makes a certain sound. Whoever comes to Ghana, I'll show you what it looks like. So the chief will get somebody to beat the gongon and get the community together to listen to what he had to say. And this time, there was news that some young people have gone to the cemetery in the town to exhume some graves in search of precious ornaments. Because in, in older times in Ghana, when people were buried, they were buried with gold. as It's something cultural, um, showing how precious they are and all that. So these young people went to the cemetery, exhumed the bodies, and, and attempted to get these ornaments. The entire community was thrown into a state of shock, disgust, and apprehension. But the situation today is a bit different. What is shocking is not evil. What is shocking is not deviant behavior. What is shocking is good news. You know, sometimes on the news you hear people who have done some good, and it's, 
It appears rare for people to do good today. When you hear, in Ghana, we have never heard that political officers have sort of saved government any money. Anytime there are scandals and financial embezzlement. The point is this. Evil, corruption, crime, greed, immorality, and the likes have become the order of the day. Human depravities have become the norm, and the evidence is not, is not hard to find. The sad part is that not even the church is spared such moral degradation and degeneration. Even though the hope and anticipation is that when someone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old lives, the old life gives way to the new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. But the reality is different. Our common experience is that even though we claim to have been regenerated by the blood of Christ, yet the regeneration delays in taking effect in our lives. This is the situation that the Apostle Paul was saddled with in the church at Ephesus. Even though they had been taught the right doctrine about Christ, but the right doctrine was slow in resulting in the right living. The new doctrine of Christ was slow in reflecting in a new way of living. Thus, he began to insist and demand for spiritual formation and transformation. In the mind of the apostle, it was about time the Christians at Ephesus, and perhaps at Pickets, transitioned into a new culture. And he put it this way, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This plea is similar to the Apostle Paul's plea to the church at Rome in chapter 12 and verse, the first three verses. He entered into an impassioned plea to the brothers and sisters, saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Thus, as Christians, we are no longer to be like the Gentiles. When we have come into Christ, we are supposed to be transformed. We are supposed to exhibit what is called an alternative culture. Our lives, and what is culture? Culture is the way a group of people live. The way we live is not supposed to be similar, same, with those out there. And so, Paul is saying to us this evening that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. We must no longer walk. I am a Ghanaian, like Ghanaians do. As Christians, we must no longer walk like the popular culture out there. We must no longer talk. We must no longer behave like the popular culture. Why? Because nothing would change about us until we convince ourselves that change is needed. When we become Christians, change is needed. 
It is demanded. It is expected. And Paul makes this declaration like all freedom fighters do after a revolution is successful. See, I'm, I'm not an American, but I know that when this country began, the founding fathers wanted this country to be everything but, but where they had come from. They wanted everything to be different. And it's the same when Christ died on the cross and bought us from the world. He wanted our way of living, our way of life to be anything but the world. He wanted us to think differently, to feel differently, and act differently. We must not be conformed, but be transformed. The idea of transformation is like the, um, the caterpillar. We know that animal that moves this way. But over time, it transforms into the butterfly. The change is so drastic. Caterpillars bite and chew crops, but butterflies, they pollinate. The difference becomes so clear. That is what God expects us. And this was the message of the Apostle Paul. He was setting a new vision for the newly independent people. They had been freed for freedom in Christ. And he wanted them to be free of the life of the world, of the thinking of the world. Many of us, when we come to Christ, the feeling is free at last, but are we totally free? So, in what sense did the Apostle Paul use the word gentile? Is it in the ethnic sense? or in the moral sense. I believe that he was talking about the moral sense. As Christians, we must not have the gentle moral ethic. We must not have the gentle moral compass to live the way they live. How did the Gentiles live? Their lifestyle was steeped in immorality and debauchery. This is extreme indulgence in, in bodily pleasures involving sex, drugs, alcohol, and so on. And for Christians, that is not supposed to be our life. But how do we no longer live as the Gentiles do? Because that's the background we have come from. And so there is a process. We must understand how they live so that we commit ourselves into extricating ourselves from that lifestyle. There are two processes of formation and transformation. The first that he's going to talk about is reorientation. Because it appears that sin is a mind style. It's a way of thinking. And for us to move away from sin, we must change the way we think. We must change our view of things. We must shift our focus from self to Christ. We must fix our eyes on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
Whilst our mind changes, our behavior would follow. And so there is reorientation and there's rehabituation. We must begin to form new habits. We must begin to get accustomed to new ways of living. And he goes, let's, let's follow what he says about the way the Gentiles live. He says, this I say therefore, verse 17, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk in as the rest of the Gentiles walk. He begins by describing in the futility of their minds. So the Gentiles live the way they do due to the futility of their minds. The word futile or futility expresses the idea of meaninglessness, uselessness, worthlessness, and emptiness. That means that they are manipulated by their passions or instinct. They live like animals do. When, they, when it feels good, they do it. Although they have intellect, they can reason, they can discern, but they do not use it. They have the brain matter, but it does not function. Why? Because Gentiles have no light to give them life and guidance because they have no God in their lives. And we must not live that way in the futility of our minds. Not only is their mind futile, he says, having their understanding darkened. And so their way of life is because they are darkened or the understanding is darkened and obscured. They, they are unaware of their way of life and the fact that it is wrong. They are unaware of how their lifestyle is debilitating is destroying them. They are unaware of the effects of the evil they are steeped into. They think it is fun. They think it is giving them pleasure, but they don't know how it is eating their spirits away because the understanding is darkened. They can perceive, but cannot understand. And it's similar for many of us. We have certain belief systems. We have certain ways and choices we make we think it is right, but we don't know how it is separating us from God and how it is eating away our relationship with God. He goes on to say that they are alienated from the life of God. The Gentiles live the way they do because... They are separated from the life God gives. And remember, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that that, is the, that was our condition. When we were in the world, we were separate from God. We had no relationship with him. And we, have, we had no God in this life. 
And he introduces those beautiful phrases, but God. Many of us are here in the kingdom, yet we still live as though we, we have no God. We still live as if we own our lives and we are the Lord of our own lives. We are the captains of our own ships. And that figures in the choices and the decisions we, we make. And he says, that is the way of Gentiles. For those of us in Christ Jesus, that is not. And verse 20 says, we did not learn Christ that way. Not only were they alienated from the life of God, but they engaged in something else. It says, because of the ignorance that is in them. And this ignorance is not because they cannot learn. This ignorance is deliberate. It is intentional. They have made a choice not to know God, to build walls, and not connect, not bridges. They, they are neither dumb nor stupid. They are neither incapable of learning, but they have willfully chosen to ignore knowledge and information about God. For many of us, even when the word of God speaks against what we are doing, what we like, we'll still go ahead and do it. And that is not how we learn Christ. He says, they are also blind, the blindness of their hearts. Some versions will say they have stony hearts or hardness of hearts. The heart, which is the seat of all emotions, becomes unfeeling, uncaring towards all moral values. So, Paul will say in, in his letter to uh, Timothy that the, their conscience be, fails to punk. Even when they are in sin, they do not feel it. He goes on to say this. Who, verse 19, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness. Being past feeling. The language is strange. He's only talking about becoming emotionally insensitive. Some versions say they have become callous. Their conscience no longer functions. It still registers. It's protest against immorality, but its protest is not heard. Insensitivity towards any perversion of morality is destructive to both the individual and society. Look at the way our society is going. What used to be sin then is no longer perceived as what? As, as sin. What used to be wrong is no longer wrong in the eyes of many because we have developed stony hearts. Verse 19. says they have given themselves over to lewdness. Giving over. It's like 
when we submit ourselves to baptism, there are some Gentiles immerse themselves. They, they drown themselves. That's good. They have given themselves up to sensuality. They, they have lost every and any inhibition to evil, to sin. Whenever they are sleeping, they are dreaming about when to wake up and to indulge in evil. And that is why Gentile worship has always been about sex. And as somebody who works with, with young people, that is what they struggle with. Most, most of them have lost any inhibition to sin. Because when it feels good, you do it. And just like Nike's just do it. Sometimes we think that some of these things are, uh, are, but they are speaking to the spirit of the age. When it feels good, just do it. Even though it's against God's will. Even though it's against God's will. But because it feels good, we go ahead and we do it. He says, to work all uncleanness, with greediness. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The absence of that inhibition is what leads to that moral depravity. And that they have lost any sense of morality. They are bent on satisfying every appetite. That is the gentle way of living. And it is due to the way they think. The distortions in their mind, in their reasoning. But he ends in verse 20 and say, but you have not learned Christ this way. In other words, any child of God, any Christian, any believer cannot, should not, and must not Live this way. This ought not to be our way of life. This ought not to be our culture. But what is our reality? How different is the culture in the church from the popular culture? How different are we from those out there? And so, forming, forming ourselves, becoming more like Christ daily should be our concern. It is something we must invest in every day. Because, you see, the reason why we exist as the church that belongs to Christ is that we are supposed to be the salt and the First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. One of the things God has always demanded from his people is holiness, to be like him. 
First Peter chapter 2. Because it is not my Bible. Okay, I'm there. Verse 9. This is a, a popular passage that we know. I'm not seeing. Okay, I'm in Second Peter. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The short, the long and short of this passage is this. God chose us to be special, to be unique, to be a display to the world. That if people wanted to know how God, God's people look like, God will show us. Go and look at those people, the way they live. So the question I want to leave you with is this. Is this a description of you? If you have forgotten that description, this is it. He says, in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Does this describe you? I hope it does not. But if it does, then we must do something about it. But, you see, if we don't, if you don't immerse yourself in the life of Christ, in the life of God, this would eventually become you. Because I tell you, without the Spirit of God, we will not be any different than those out there. Therefore, let's be very careful what we allow to enter our minds and our hearts. Because eventually, it is going to show in our behavior. If you are here and you are struggling to live a righteous, holy life, this is an opportunity for you. Give your life to Christ. Allow him to be your Lord and his spirit will guide you and save you from this perverse generation. If you're a member of the church, you're struggling. You need the help and support of this church family. We are ready and willing to help you. Whatever your need is, come now as we stand and as we sing. He made a